Al. Thank you so much. Let get, let's get things going here tonight on Doubleheader Tuesday, right here on the Primetime Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to another episode of the Primetime Rundown, episode number 90 to be exact here on Doubleheader Tuesday, right here on the Eastern Observer, alongside Mike Zabo, Joey Jarzinka on hand. We cannot thank you all enough for making us a part of your Tuesday night. This is a little different, of course, because yesterday was the 4th of July, so for all of those celebrating and making sure to keep our independence alive, thank you and happy Independence Day to all of you. Uh, For all of those that were watching the Essential Wrestling Podcast, cannot thank you all enough for zooming right in to the primetime rundown. And of course, this is the back end of our doubleheader, the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Of course, Al Carl was the host of that show. And of course, we will be taking it home with you here tonight. And next week, we will be having the exact same thing. It will be doubleheader Tuesday next week, starting at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So, Mike, good to see you, sir. Uh, Ian Schreier is on extended leave here from the primetime rundown. How are things on your side? Uh, doing really well. Just came back from Nashville this weekend. So that was really fun uh, to go down and see the city there. Really, really packed, whether it was July 4th weekend or not. But uh, the city was really booming, uh, really fun to go see. Gotta love it. And especially Music City, there's no doubt there's a lot of hockey news that came out of there just a couple of days ago. We'll get to that shortly. But of course, we always begin with our good friends at Black Cats NYC. They are their proudest spon- or our proudest sponsor of our show and also of the Eastern Observer site as well. Black Cats NYC, their newest album is called Free Cake, which is out now. Play loud. Be sure to listen to their newest uh, to their newest single called Dirty Little Hipster, which you heard in the beginning of our show. Listen now on Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Of course, be sure to subscribe to us if you are listening to us on either any of the platforms, on any of the platforms, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe one or the other. Cannot thank you all enough for doing that. And the same thing goes with our friends over at the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Be sure to keep uh, keep watch on all of their things. Uh, They've got a whole bunch of articles coming out. They've got a couple more shows. they got a SummerSlam special coming out. So we'll be keeping you apprised of all of that later on in our show. Mike, we've got a packed show here on Doubleheader Tuesday. Of course, we're going to get things started with Major League Baseball. The Yankees are uh, had the day off yesterday, but they're out in Pittsburgh tonight. The Mets, they dropped two to Houston, but then they uh, then they came back and absolutely dominated against the Reds. No surprise there. And then, of course, the NHL draft is in a couple of days. Casey DeSmith signed a re-signed, or rather uh, re-upped for a couple of years, worth about $2 million uh, per season. And then, of course, in the NBA news, we typically don't cover it that much, but here in New York, it is a big deal. Jalen Brunson uh, has signed a big deal uh, to come here to New York from Dallas, and there are some tampering rumors that could be placed on the Knicks. Uh, We'll see if that happens as well. Of course, Kevin Durant requested trade from Brooklyn. We'll have a little bit more on that. A little bit of Buffalo stuff uh, coming up in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills up in western New York. We have to keep our friends up there 
uh, you know, all of the news apprised up there for all of our viewers here. And, uh, and, and of course, the usual sports update. So, Mike, let's get involved and let's get things started here. The Yankees are out in Pittsburgh tonight. It's a fantastic city, Pittsburgh. It's a fantastic ballpark. The first time that the Yankees have played in Pittsburgh since 2017. We've got a good one. Jamison Tyone Yarmo is heading back home for the first time since his trade with the Pirates. Yeah, a really good capping off a really good weekend for the Yankees. After a rainout, they got doubleheader victory uh, over the Guardians and took two out of three over the weekend. Uh, really looked strong in that doubleheader in particular. Uh, of course, that Sunday game, uh, we talked about offense last week, and, and that game sort of brought up concern. Only got uh, got one hit against uh, Tristan McKenzie. Uh from the Cleveland Guardians on the uh, the series finale of the weekend uh, series there over in Cleveland. So bringing up again some concerns of offense heading into this July period where we're going to hear trade deadline talk every single day. Uh, an interesting series uh, going into Pittsburgh, of course, just going back to that ballpark. Uh, should be a, uh, an interesting pitching matchup tonight, um, but should be two games that uh, the Yankees really take advantage of. Mike, have you ever been to PNC Park? I have not. Now, that ballpark, let me just tell all the folks out there, PNC Park I've been to multiple times. And the reason why was when I was a sports information director over at St. Francis, Brooklyn, um, Robert Morris, the Colonials, who are now in the Horizon League, they were in the Northeast Conference. And for three years that I was there, uh, prior to Robert Morris departing the NEC, uh, I always made it out there to ensure that I wanted to see the ballpark, even if it was just to walk around, uh, you know, and obviously I'd never saw a game. Well, actually I did see a game there years ago. Uh, I think it was, I know it was 2010 with my dad once Prince Fielder and the Brewers were there. Um, and then I think it was a few years later. I think it was the Reds. I don't, I you can't hold me to that. But what I can tell you is, is that that building and the city skyline is one of the greatest in all of Major League Baseball. And I've been to 13 ballparks in my lifetime. It is truly remarkable. And, you know, Dodger Stadium does give Pittsburgh uh, PNC Park a run for its money. But uh, but sticking on topic, though, Mike, of course, we wanted to just, uh, you know, add that little tidbit in there. Uh, the Yankees, though, yesterday they had a rare off day, a good, a really, really good uh, series that they're coming into. It's a couple of games before they head off on a four-game road trip to Boston. That's going to be a big deal. Of course, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Three of those contests are on national television, uh, as per usual, especially against Boston. Um, this Yankees team, though, I tell you, um, hitting is – we're seeing things a little bit differently. Matt Carpenter made his way into the ball game and into right field as well. That's a big deal, and uh, the reason why is because he hasn't played right field in probably about a decade. Yeah, uh, really interesting how they're shifting around Carpenter trying to get his playing time in because he's been fantastic off, uh, off the bench. Uh, they signed him in early June as sort of a uh, – kind of hope to find lightning in a bottle and get us to the trade deadline and whatnot. And he's really rejuvenated himself. He's hit eight home runs, more home runs than he has in the past two years. Uh, he, he's found some sort of renaissance and the, there's stories coming out from the winter time about him going to multiple hitting coaches and uh, all sorts of hitters across the league, trying to change his stance, make all sorts of adjustments and, adjust his swing and whatnot, and it's clearly worked so far. And 
Anthony Rizzo is clearly going through some injury troubles. We saw him last week uh, get hit by a pitch that really discomforted him. Now it seems like there's some lower back tightness. So uh, you could see a lot more of Carpenter uh, in case Rizzo goes on the IL, just in case of uh, precautionary reasons. So could be seeing more of Carpenter. Interesting how they shift him into right field. Um, but I think the way it's going, uh, they wouldn't mind getting him more at bats because they need to bolster that bottom of the order a little bit. What did we say last week when we were talking about some of those those potential trade candidates, right? If Rizzo ever gets hurt, you know, Josh Bell could potentially be up there, but also with the the likes of LeMayhew, Carpenter. Now we're beginning to see some things being changed up tonight in Pittsburgh. Uh, before first pitch, I think we've got a couple more minutes until then. DJ LeMahieu is over at first base, so things uh, you know are a little bit moved around, and again, that depth continues to be tested, Mike. Yeah, uh, d- uh, the depth has been much better than last year, I would say, for the Yankees. Uh, not that they, not that you expected the depth to really come into play. We've had a lot less talk of injuries for the Yankees than we have in the last couple of years, but. Uh, the depth's getting tested. They certainly have a margin for error, of course, given how they've started the season. But uh, it's interesting how the depth's going to come into play. And certainly, uh, in terms of the hitting issues, there's plenty of internal options that they could go to to evaluate before Cashman may go outside and make a trade and whatnot that they may evaluate. They brought up uh, Andujar to be the 27th man for the doubleheader. He it's, looked good. He looked pretty good. Uh, we mentioned last week about how the bottom of the orders, you know, kind of starting to be really uh, not a black hole per se, but certainly headed in that direction. Uh, Donaldson has been sort of league average. uh, So, um, but hasn't been too great in the last couple of weeks, but good enough that he's not going to lose too much playing time. Kiner Falefa has been making some really bad defensive plays, which has kind of been, against his M.O. and what the Yankees were bringing him in for. Uh, but then also he's he's regressed to more of what we thought uh, our preseason thoughts of him were offensively, and he's become a real black hole. So maybe look to someone like Oswald Peraza to somehow figure out a way to call him up uh, and see what you have there at shortstop. Because if you're able to find a good option, if you're able to evaluate Peraza and see, okay, he can really – he can really hold the position down defensively and bring some more offensive pop than kind of Falefa does. Then that makes Marwin Gonzalez more expendable, and you have uh, a good good two options there going forward the rest of the year uh, at shortstop. The only wrinkle in that situation is that Marwin Gonzalez has actually started to hit well the past couple weeks. We mentioned last week he's kind of iffy and all. You look at it, actually, his June numbers have been pretty strong, and he's sort of picked it up lately. So that brings a wrinkle into that situation. The other thing is, we mentioned Andujar. The other thing is uh, Estevan Florio. Uh, yeah. He's been fantastic. His value is probably the highest it's ever been, to, you know, being in the minors the last couple of years. Will he explode out into this great power-hitting center field prospect that you know, Yankees fans have been waiting and hoping for to see maybe this is finally the consistent stretch we've seen that uh, will entice the front office and Cashman to give him a more extended stretch. I don't know why right now, tomorrow, they don't trade Joey Gallo or whatever you can get because his value is not going to increase. 
It, it's not going to increase by a dramatic amount. Cut bait with him. Figure out a way to get Andujar and or Florio up uh, to the main squad and see what they can do for a week, the next couple weeks, to evaluate what you'll have and whether you need to go out on the trade deadline and seriously invest in offense. Yeah, it's truly unbelievable to see how Joey Gallo has continued to regress and not only continue to regress, but it just he's not getting any better. Uh, not only are we seeing him not get any better, we're continuously seeing that rotation uh, in left field. We're also sometimes seeing it even in right field too. We're seeing Gallo out there. We're seeing some of the injuries begin to, uh, to take effect. Uh, we brought up obviously about Carpenter. Now you're bringing up the fact about that, that black hole over at shortstop. And, you know, ever since also DD Gregorius had left, now it is just that continuous rotation uh, at shortstop. And we thought that, that, that Glaber Torres would go back to shortstop, which if I recall correctly, that was what he was brought up to initially be, uh, was a shortstop back in Chicago. Uh, that's what he was drafted to be, was a shortstop. And here he's not, you know, they had to move him over to second uh, when Didier Gregorius was on the team when they made that trade uh, for Chapman. I think that was back in 2015, 2000, no, actually 2016. That was the year that the Cubs won the world series and broke that drought. Um, a part of that package, Chapman went to Chicago. Torres came back. Chapman then resigned afterward. Um, and now we're beginning to see Glaber Torres. It's kind of rejuvenation, kind of Falefa. And you brought it up. He can't get things going. And now there's nothing going at shortstop. So do you really think that the kid route is going to be the best way? Or do you think that maybe Yankees management and most notably Brian Cashman could potentially, uh, you know, maybe make a trade for, for someone of, you know, an Andrew Elton Simmons type guy. Maybe we, they need prime defense. Uh, I don't really see the Simmons route. Uh, if they would have done that, they would have done it in the off season. And other than that, there's, really no candidates out there in terms yeah. of shortstop. So I think you got to evaluate what, uh, what you have internally a uh, matter of time before you should start calling up Barraza and yeah. see what he has there. Uh, give him an extended run. Uh, he certainly looks like he he's building toward it. He's, he's been putting up some good numbers in the minor leagues. Uh, now up to triple A, he's been pretty good the last couple of games as well. I, I think this is the month where you really got to start evaluating things and you do have some margin of error too. You have that sort of luxury to play around with, with certain things that this is a team that I, I get it's July, but this is a team there. They're 13 games ahead in the division. Yeah. Like you got to start having October in your mind that of, you know, how are we going to fine tune this team? What, do we need to evaluate? What do we need to adjust? This is the month to figure it out. This is where the trade deadline is. So I think you call up Peraza, see what you have internally before you have to go look outward. But I wouldn't see a short shortstop trade at all. If they're trading for hitters, it's an outfielder or, or a catcher. Yeah, they were one hit uh, on Sunday too. That was obviously a very big deal too. And again, we, we are too, I don't want to say prone to these no-hitters or one-hitters, Mike, but keep in mind that no-hitter just a couple of weeks ago uh, against Houston is pretty much still in the back of our heads uh, or in the back of our minds. And, you know, when you see these one-hit gems from the opponent um, and even two hits or what, what, whatever the case may be, 
uh, it's it's way too obvious that the Yankees still need help. And it's pretty much a never-ending conversation of that. What can they do? How can they get it done? Uh, we got a chance to see Araldis Chapman make his return, Mike. And boy, we can tell you, it does not look like he'll be getting his old job back. No, absolutely not. I've said before, he, he never should have got, uh, got it back to begin with, with how good Holmes is. Don't, bro- don't uh, fix what isn't broken. But Chapman's not helping himself at all. I mean, that was an unbelievably terrible outing. His command was just all over the place, couldn't be able to locate, which is strange. You have a fastball, you have the power, you know, just blow it past people. He needs to have that. It's always mental with Chapman, especially when he comes back from injury year after year. He has the, these bouts of issues with his command. Just trust your stuff. You have, he, he's been known as a power pitcher. Have trust in it. Go after the person. And on on uh, this weekend in Cleveland, just didn't show that at all. Was just all over the place, walking people left and right. Just a, a disastrous outing. And I, I think that's going to make Cashman reevaluate uh, potentially the bullpen. They may have to get an arm. Uh, Marciano uh, just went down with an injury. I believe he. Uh, I, I don't know what the exact term for it is. I, I think he's got dead arm or some sort of shoulder discomfort. He's going to be out for four to six weeks, they say. And now you have Chapman being shaky. Uh, you're still a couple of weeks away from the likes of a Wisinga and whatnot being uh, coming back. So they may also have to look for a bullpen option more so than they thought, um, you know, earlier on in, in, in this month or in the season. Yeah, it's really tough to see uh, what's what's happening here, but yet they're still winning. That's the crazy part. They're still winning, uh, and they're winning at a fantastic rate as well. As you brought up, Mike, uh, just by looking at some of the statistics here, um, just by seeing also you know, what the Yankees continuously are doing, uh, they're fourth in OPS. Uh, in average, they're in the top five, is, or rather in the top 10 as well. Uh, or rather actually, excuse me, in number 20, excuse me, I was looking at the wrong uh, wrong thing here, still number 20 in batting average. And, you know, for all of those statistics that we were talking about last week, it's still an, an issue. And uh, we expect that to be addressed uh, in due time, because again, the all-star game is exactly two weeks from today. Uh, that'll be a, another, you know, a solid break there and, and pretty much give uh, Brian Cashman that wiggle room to, to make those phone calls and to reach out to other teams and see what they'll, you know, what the market is uh, for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these rentals most likely is where they'll be headed. Um, You know, they, they swept the A's at home, which we kind of expected. Um, If that didn't happen, then I would be very concerned. Uh, You brought up, they lost one game uh, in Houston last week, which was, uh, which was a nice thing. Uh, And keep in mind, that was only the one day, uh, the one day rule. Uh, because of the uh, the lockout in the beginning of the season, they lost, I believe, about a week. So that game was, you know, you got a couple of games that were flurried around the schedule uh, to make up for that and not lose any time come October. Um, and then they won two out of three in Cleveland over the weekend. And now, of course, they're going against Pittsburgh right now. Uh, right now, it is the bottom half of the first. And uh, that's where we are there. Let's get you to the Mets now. Um Mike, they dropped two against Houston, which, again, is very telling. We brought that up last week, where the next day after our broadcast, um, they had Carlos Carrasco start. Uh, They also had those two games, as we brought up, against Houston. 
uh, at City Field. They took two out of three against Texas, uh, and then they took the opener of a three-game set against uh, against the Reds. Now, the division lead is, you know, it's beginning to slim down, and the Braves are red hot. Uh, the Phillies are off and on. Uh, I don't think the Phillies are going to do anything, but they are. They, they could be spoiler. The Nationals can't. They they can't beat anyone to save their own life. The Miami Marlins, the only team they seem like they could beat, are the Washington Nationals. They've won 12 out of their last 13 contests against the Nats. It's a disaster. Um, you know, three and a half games now against the Braves, but it looks like there is help on the way. Max Scherzer is starting tonight. Yeah, I know it's sort of been pushed off by a, a lot of people that this division lead has really been slimming down for the Mets a, a month. This time a month ago, we were talking about a seven to ten game lead and whatnot, and it's sort of been excused for not having Degrom or not having Scherzer. They're still winning at a decent rate, but you always expected the Braves are going to start coming along. But now it's, you know, getting starting to get tight. It's three, three and a half games. It's not as big of a lead as it, as it was before. The good thing, of course, is now the reinforcements are starting to return. So you've treaded water. Uh, it wasn't a disastrous June like we've seen from previous years with the Mets. So even though the division lead is, has slowed down, didn't have a disastrous month. The reinforcements are coming back. So there's a lot of hope there. Uh, Matt Scherzer, of course, coming back starting tonight. That's huge for them. Uh, they've been getting some shakier starts out of, out of their starters lately. I think uh, Trevor Williams uh, gave up five runs to the Rangers on, on the weekend. Oh, yeah, um, he didn't look good at all. I think what's been very underrated has been uh, Taiwan Walker being solid and decent enough the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's lowered his ERA now down to under three, so... That's been very underrated for the Mets in, a lot, in the last couple weeks or so to get them to this point where Scherzer and DeGrom are starting to uh, to come back. But I think the issue for this team, the, the bullpen, uh, you now saw to make room for Matt Scherzer, they DFA'd Chase and Shreve, for, who for the millionth time has not worked out in New York for either New York club. Exactly. Um, him, Joely Rodriguez, has been a bit of an issue. Uh, their bullpen's not deep at all. And no. now, of course, that you, you lost Shreve. It's not effective, and it's not deep. So you lost Shreve now to make room for Scherzer. They they got to they gotta overhaul that at the deadline as well. Maybe you say, oh, we'll get a starter, and then eventually when we get to the stretch, you know, we'll move, you know, somebody to the bullpen or whatnot when you get into the stretch and into the playoffs. But I, I think they need two bullpen pitchers and – Maybe they, I think they may need a bat. We talked, they just alluded to that Houston series where they played Houston four times in June. They lost all four. And you don't want to make a lot out of it because they were missing their two aces. It's still sort of June. The teams can change after the trade deadline or whatnot. But it sort of gives Steve Cohen and the rest of the front office a kind of idea that, you know, it's not like we got our, uh, our, you know, totally beaten up by Houston. You know, it was no contest all the time. It was close, but they clearly just just didn't have that little bit of edge needed to put them over in some of those games. Those were, you know, potential playoff previews if the Mets were to go that far. Um, I think they sort of need some help on hitting. Uh, their pitching was able to keep it in there, but 
Um, their hitting, I think, is a bit of an issue. Uh, they generate a lot of good hard contact. They're really yeah. a team built around uh, contact hitting. They may need some, a little bit more power. They have the, the talent to do it. Guys haven't been hitting as many home runs as their previous career numbers have shown, but uh, I think they need a little bit more of a power jolt uh, going uh, into the deadline. Yeah, and and you look back at their at their last seven games, uh, their hitting has really cooled off. Uh, they're only hitting 222 as a team. That's a big deal. Um, and the reason why, Mike, is because just a few weeks ago we were talking about how they were the number one overall uh, batting average team or the number one team in batting average uh, in all of Major League Baseball. Now they've taken they've taken it down about almost nine. Uh, uh, nine percentage points in in batting average. They're now 256 as opposed to 264, 265. So between eight and nine percentage points um, between last week when we were on the air till now. That's a big deal. Yes, they're second in the National League still, but that's really not saying much. Again, Colorado Rockies um, are back in that in that uh, in that number two spot, number one in the National League. Um, you'd speak about Mike, the potential overhaul of their bullpen or anything along those lines. Um, I, I think that, you know, we were talking about the Frankie Montas. We were talking about the Luis Castillo. It almost seems like just by watching the Mets, they're about a year away. That's without any moves whatsoever. That could change, obviously, come the trade deadline. But if they don't make any moves, I don't see this team going far in October. And again, it's a long ways away. But can this team even win one round in October? I think I think they can. I, I don't think Cohen's going to sit pat at the deadline. Uh, def, uh, he's not that sort of guy. It's certainly not uh, the way he wants the front office to be run. I think clearly... Uh, the entire front office knows that there's issues to be fixed with the team. There's uh, yes, they're 20 games over 500. They've had a really strong season thus far, but there's certainly holes that need to be filled. And I think now, once they get a full idea of the team, I think having Scherzer and Degrom come back before the trade deadline helps. They'll have a full set uh, of guys to really realize that, all right, these are some of the issues we got to tackle at the deadline. There's no excuse of, oh, we don't have our two aces here or there or whatnot. Uh, their pitching has been able to somehow give credit to Buck Showalter and whatnot, been able to piece it together and whatnot. Um, but th- there's certainly uh, issues there. They need uh, two bullpen pitchers, I think, to really compete in October. It's one thing in the regular season. They're able to stretch out some of the starters or uh, they're able to piece together uh, some guys in the bullpen to fairly keep it together. Uh, but certainly going forward to October, if they're going to move past anybody, uh, they're going to need some more bullpen help. Even if they do acquire a starter, I think that they have to uh, get some help there on the back end. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, when they have Max Scherzer coming off the the IL, he was activated earlier today. Uh, Jacob Degrom, he started his rehab. He says that he feels perfect. As he feels nothing, uh, which is a very good sign. Do you possibly believe that they might stick to this? They did keep in mind they did make that trade for Bassett. 
where they could have a formidable one through five. If DeGrom does come back before the trade deadline, you could conceivably mark that down, DeGrom, as an acquisition from as opposed to making that move. Maybe you can begin to shift to the other spots as you brought up, not a deep bullpen. You might be able to bring some of those guys that you were going to trade away for a bona fide four or five starter to the bullpen or that other bat that you were talking about. Is that a gamble that you could see Steve Cohen make? Because I personally can. Yeah, I think so. I think they're kind of, it will depend what Showalter says. He's been able to piece together the pitching thus far without Hefner too. Yeah, I mean, without Scherzer and DeGrom, so they'll probably say, imagine, you know, what we'll be able to piece together with them. Uh, And it will depend a lot on the next couple weeks with uh, Montas and Castillo. They'll probably be involved in them, but it'll certainly be uh, dependent on what's uh, the cost going to be and what what are the Mets front office willing to pay. I think they've realized that they're, you know, 20 games over 500. They have their two aces coming back. Um, you know, maybe there's a certain price they're not willing to go past for those two starters. Do they find somebody lower on the list or are they confident that they'll just, you know, continue to go forward, hope that Bassett conti- uh, 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 rejuvenates himself toward uh, as we go later through the season. Walker continues his strong last couple weeks and you trust Carrasco's postseason experience as well going down the stretch. So I, I think there's certainly a conversation for it. It just depends what the, the cost is going to be for those top deadline starters that we're going to hear about every day for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the crazy part is uh, for all the Mets fans that are out there, I'm sure they're probably going to hit the X button once we say this. But uh, we did see a tweet from Buster Olney. Uh, a few days ago, and we were talking about this, me and you, Mike, as a uh, as a pair of Yankees fans, I can tell you our good friend Ian Schreier, who's a diehard Mets fan, uh, was not only not happy, but he said that he's just going to take that with a grain of salt because um, he believes that just Buster is a Mets hater. Uh, but regardless if that is the case or not, uh, do you think that that has any uh, any, any potential fuel that could be uh, that could be added? uh you know to this to this rivalry uh maybe amongst fans i don't think the players think about this as much certainly in the middle of the season yeah. uh, if, if that were to happen i mean yeah I, I believe it when i see it i mean if that happens hell freezes over certainly in that rivalry uh, oh yeah but uh, i don't think they'll they'll make such a big uh effect uh, i think certainly i think one thing and now that this uh, that story going out there, I think one thing that it'll bring up uh, that kind of doesn't really get talked about as much as DeGrom and the injury issues that he's had. Now you're going into a, a situation where, you know, is he going to opt out or not? The, let's project this out. Let's, you know, fast forward to the off season. The longer it takes DeGrom maybe to opt in or, um, you know, if they're going to renegotiate the contract or, or whatever it is, opt out and yeah. these signs on a bigger deal, something like that, the longer that takes to potentially sort out, um, I think those conversations are going to start to come up in the media. Oh, well, he's had a lot of injury issues recently, which I'm surprised it's not been talked about enough. He's right. barely played for the past two years, constantly having 
uh, shoulder uh, issues, um, you know, puts up yeah. great numbers, but hasn't had the availability. Um, and he's been, and that. he's been pretty much base. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he's been pretty much baseball's best pitcher at the time. You know, when, when he's healthy, he's baseball's best pitcher. And imagine if he would be healthy the entire year, what kind of, I mean, history we would have seen. Um, so I think that's, that, that'll be a conversation that really heats up in the off season. I don't think it creates a, a ri- even more fuel to the rivalry now. I think there's there's plenty of gasoline right there right now. Yeah, absolutely, and especially when that did come out and the Braves could potentially be favorites. Uh, I could tell you that the Mets fans uh, and and who knows even and keep in mind too for those that don't know, uh, we remember Chipper Jones's kid. He named his kid Shay uh, because he played so well and absolutely destroyed. Uh, the Mets when he was, you know, he's obviously a Hall of Famer now, but when he was uh, playing third base every single night for the Atlanta Braves and Bobby Cox, uh, you know, back in the uh, in, in the, the the late 90s and early 2000s in the heyday for them. Um, I mean, it's it's truly remarkable to to see someone first off name their kid Shay for starters, uh, but also now where this could potentially happen. Um, we've seen a lot of other players from the National League East go to Atlanta. We've seen Marcelo Zuna go there. Um, he was with, of course, Miami at the time. Uh, we've seen Cole Hamels try and rejuvenate his career uh, down in Atlanta. That could not happen. Uh, Josh Donaldson, too, went from, uh, or actually he was he was never in the NL East anywhere else, but he was with the Braves for a while. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of players that decide to go down there or go home, whatever the case may be. But if DeGrom were to go down there, whatever, whatever money it would be, I think he would be, he would be paid, um, a ton of money and would set that, uh, would, would set the market for, uh, for, I think the younger pitchers as well. Cause he's going to be 35. I believe he's 34 yeah. or 35 years old, Mike. And that's something too, that you have to watch for too. And, I was actually at his debut against the Yankees. That was a big deal back at, at City Field. Uh, I think it was what ten years ago, give or take, something like that. Ten or eleven years ago, I think 2012, yeah, 13, I think. I'll never forget. I remember. I think it was. I want to say now. I'd have to look that up. But I remember Degrom started against the Yankees, and I remember saying, "This guy is going to be ridiculous." I don't remember who it was, but the I remember the the opposing pitcher that that night was also making his debut as well. I couldn't tell you. I think it was probably before you were born, Mike. Had to be <laughs> 2014. That's what it was. 2014. So uh let's see. Yeah, it was Chase Whitley. Wow. May 15th. May 15, 2014. Yep, I was there. Me and my cousin. My cousin and I, we were both there. Remember, sat on the third base side. Don't know how we got the tickets, but um, yeah, we were there. I remember Chase Whitley had also made his uh, his debut as well. Wild stuff. Um, but going back to what we were talking about, I personally believe that if that were to happen, he goes down to Atlanta. Not only would all hell freeze over, Mike, I think that Steve Cohen would not only have a conniption, but I think it would also terrorize the entire league. Yeah, And I think that what we would see would be a spending frenzy and could possibly offset the market, not offset the market, but actually would, would put the market awry because of what he might do. 
Yeah, I mean, just to project the situation out, I mean, to go, going on that, if that would happen, you know, you don't want to anger a man with the, the, the biggest wallet around in sports. So uh, who knows what he would do after that. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, just to project the situation out, I wouldn't be surprised if DeGrom opts out in the winter because I think he sort of feels some regret from a couple of years ago when he signed this current contract um, they could have signed for, for more money. Look at how the markets changed the last couple of years. And, and certainly right after he signed that deal, how much the, some of these starters were getting. And look at the number. DeGrom's put up some historic numbers, injury or not. He's put up some uh, historic numbers. The year, of course, where he had about a 1.7 ERA uh, or whatnot a couple of years ago. Um, you'd, think, you'd think he'd be earning a lot more on annual value. And instead yeah. he, he sort of signed ahead of time before he like really could cash in. And now you see your, a lot of these other pitchers may, uh, you know, with some massive contracts that if you're Jacob DeGrom, you're like, I'm way better than these guys. I, I, I got to start cashing in headed toward the twilight of my career. Why not earn a couple more uh, dollars before I head out the, you know, exit stage left. Well, we stick with the Mets, though, and we take a peek at what Taiwan Walker has done. He had another strong start in Houston. He had a decent one last night. Uh, his ERA is now under three, Mike. That's a big deal uh, because they needed Taiwan Walker after uh, Carlos Carrasco and uh, Chris Bassett. They were pretty much holding it together, the rotation, and now Taiwan Walker is able to find his stuff again. Uh, we know what the what the back end of that bullpen has been able to do, but really seeing the back end of the rotation – uh, has not been pretty, but it hasn't been bad either. Yeah, it, it's the, the 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 term going back to a treading water, really. Yeah, it's not masterful stuff, but it's gotten the job done. Where it hasn't been a disaster of a month for the Mets, they've uh, you know their offense at times is able to come through. Their pitching just enough keeps them in it, and they're able to still pile together the wins. Um, and yeah, the back, the back, it's really the middle part of that bullpen is what they got to figure out. Um, certainly the, the rotation is going to get solved a little bit by uh, Scherzer and DeGrom coming back. Uh, who knows if they go for a big swing at the deadline? We'll see. I won't be surprised uh, if they do. Um, but outside of Edwin Diaz, uh, this the bullpen definitely needs some help. Diaz has been, you know, we went a couple years ago from saying this is one of the worst trades ever to, you know, this is starting to finally pay off. The Mets finally having the closer uh, that they all hoped for. And this is more or less the Seattle version of uh, Edwin Diaz that, you know, had 50 something saves in 2018, something like that. Um, th this is the guy that they've been waiting for, but they need some more help around him. I think Ottavino has been pretty solid yeah. uh, for them this year. Um, the, a couple other guys as well have pieced it together, uh, but they need some help for the middle part of that bullpen. Yeah, yesterday we got a chance to see what Taiwan Walker was able to do. Six innings of work allowed, four hits, three earned a walk, and nine strikeouts. That's a big deal. Uh, we also saw what Dom Smith was able to do on the offensive side of the, the uh, of the plate as well. He went one for four with a couple of RBIs as the designated hitter. And keep in mind too, Mike, we recall when Dom Smith was sent down to Syracuse. Do you remember when Ian was on with us and we were talking about how the accountability has become a really big deal? deal under Steve Cohen we are now beginning to see it every single day and not only that too 
but it seems as if Dom Smith is now beginning to find his rhythm as well. Little bits here and there that, you know, now, okay, this is not the, this is no longer the Wilpon era anymore where you have uh, Dom Smith batting 195 or Robbie Cano, uh, an everyday second baseman, batting 175. Um, there's accountability here, and you now have Buck Showalter, you know, obviously leading this ball club, but you also have a, a legitimate owner who cares and also a legitimate manager who's been through the ropes and who has been uh, making sure that his players are held accountable when they are batting a god-awful number. Um, it, it's truly brutal, you know, and, and it's it's good to see um, you know, that Eduardo Escobar, who hasn't been that great either. Yesterday he was one for five with an RBI. Great for him, but he's still batting 227. Um, still a little bit low. Um, but again, this is this is some stuff that we are beginning to to see here that again could potentially shift the Mets from aiming towards, you know, um trying to retool maybe the bottom portion of their lineup put all of their resources towards the bullpen. You brought it up. Um, the way is the way that it's, it's going for this Mets team and mainly for Dom Smith too. Um, it looks better. It looks better. And it's a good thing to see, especially the road that he has taken. Remember he was supposed to be the starting first baseman after Lucas Duda. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, nope, that didn't work out. He was shifted all the way over when Pete Alonso came up. Oh, he was shifted over to left. He couldn't get things done there. Shipped down to, to Syracuse. And now we're seeing some sort of a a rejuvenation, if you will. Yeah, it's all about building team culture. That's the biggest thing that Cohen really emphasized when he came when he officially bought the Mets, is that they they needed to change the culture around. Um, cut out a lot of the off-field situations that have been plaguing the Mets and and, and all sorts of uh, mismanagement or little things that uh, they could could have done better during the Wilpon era to manage the team better day by day. And you know this is you know getting guys to to really value their playing time. Dom wasn't hitting well uh, for large parts of this first half of the year. He gets sent down and, you know, that lights a fire under somebody. They got to want to get back up to the majors, want to really contribute to the team and uh, just continue to be a better hitter. And it looks like it's working out so far. And that, again, goes back to the team culture and whatnot and why this year uh, they're 50 and 30 as we stand right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's keep moving forward here. Uh, before we do move forward here, our good friend Ian Shire is watching from afar. Dom is more increasing trade value than potentially keeping a roster spot come the trade deadline. Have a good show tonight, boys. Miss you guys. Yes, Ian, we do miss you as well. Stay far, far away. No, I'm just kidding. We do miss you as well. Uh, we definitely, uh, now that Rob DeLuca is no longer here, it's not three against one uh, in terms of uh, Mets talk. It will still be two against one with me and Mike, so it should be uh, should be fun when you come back. And then, of course, we did miss another comment earlier. Have a good show, boys, from Al Carl. We had that seamless transition from uh, from earlier uh, in the show. So again, if you're just joining us, thank you so much for being a part of Doubleheader Tuesday. And if you decided to stick around too uh, on I-95 Sports Network, that another transition again from uh, from the Essential Wrestling Podcast to our show, we can't thank you enough for sticking around as well and keeping us on your computer dial. Guys, let's, uh, or rather Mike, let's keep on moving forward here. 
Uh, and let's take a peek at the National Hockey League because in about two days, we've got the National Hockey League draft presented by Upper Deck up in Montreal. And, um, you know, there are some trade candidates that are out there. Uh, I can tell you locally that we are hearing a lot from the Islanders. We're hearing a lot from potentially the Devils. We're also hearing some stuff with the Rangers as well, um, that the Rangers could be in on some guys. The Islanders could potentially be on on a defenseman. The Devils could be in uh, on some playmakers as well to try and get or to try and uh, move along their rebuild uh, that seems like it's been going on forever, i.e. Rob DeLuca, uh, wherever he is tonight. I know he's definitely uh, he's definitely – thinking about saying an explicitive after I said that. But um, if you think about it too, the number two, uh, the number two pick is potentially on the table. We don't know uh, who could be there. We pretty much know the number one overall pick is going to be Shane Wright. Um, and that will be, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, where that, where that goes. Um, looking now towards the, the professional side of things and not so much the draft. Now we're seeing some, uh, some players being thrown in with some picks uh, at the draft table. Uh, we know I've been to six drafts uh, as a fan, and it is probably one of the coolest experiences to see. Um, 32 tables are at the time 30 tables um, all over the all over the where the ice would typically be. And they make phone calls to another general manager over on the other side of the floor. Uh, or you see a, a general manager make a phone call or not even a phone call or, you know, you'll have a general manager walk over to another, to another GM on the other side of the rink, or I guess the, the table area, and they'll make a trade right then and there, literally right then and there. Hey, you know, you want the second overall pick or whatever things that, you know, things that they tend to talk about over the phone uh, from afar, obviously from city to city, they'll either talk over the phone while they're there. Uh, or they'll just walk over to each other. Now, the reason why we bring that up is because there there was already a trade, which we brought up at the top of the hour, Mike, uh, where you had just arrived home from, uh, from Music mm -hmm. City, from Nashville. Uh, the Predators made a big trade, which was not a blockbuster, but it was a big enough trade that sent potentially uh, the defensive market into, uh, or, you know, that put it into action. 34-year-old uh, Ryan McDonough was traded from Tampa Bay to the Nashville Predators. And now keep in mind the reason why uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've got a lot of salary cap issues, Mike, and Tampa needed to offload uh, Captain Max's $6.875 million contract for the next four years in order to potentially re-sign Andre Palat, uh, in order to keep Nick Paul there as well. Keep in mind they signed him to a seven-year contract extension to try and reform that, that, uh, that third line, which... Won them the Stanley Cup the last couple of years, excluding this year, of course. Um, they had to make a, a big, a big decision, and they got Phil Myers back, who played a big part in Philadelphia's uh, bubble run uh, until they they played the Islanders. Um, and then, you know, with with getting that back, they did shave off about three million dollars on the cap, which may not seem like a lot, but when you're trying to sign a potentially a third line wing or anything along those lines, $3 million is a big deal, especially when you're still trying to uh, stay under the cap. And you're also trying to retool this roster after coming. Oh, so close against Colorado for that three peat Mike. Yeah. It's a necessary move. One that Tampa, I mean, doesn't love making uh, McDonough has been a huge part 
their Stanley Cup runs the last couple of years, ever since being uh, traded over by, uh, by from the Rangers. Um, you know, he's been a huge he's been a huge heart and soul of that team, a main part of their great uh, defensive core. But you know, the salary cap is what it is, and they they have to find a way to uh, get him out and uh, trade him and get get that salary relief uh, off their cap. Uh, they 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 have to make these sort of moves. Um, uh, Palat obviously has been a huge part uh, of their second line and their scoring and whatnot. Um, trying to get the wiggle room to really uh, re-sign him, that's certainly a, a, a big uh, need for them. Trying to maneuver the cap in general mm-hmm. uh, still uh, you know sucks to give up someone like that, but it was a necessary move for Tampa. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's something that you and I, we were discussing off camera before about, you know, when we see our good friends at Cap Friendly, when they immediately move uh, some of the uh, some of the the contracts from one team to another. Mike, we were discussing about how come uh, the the cap number for Tampa Bay did not go down. And the reason why and for all of those, the reason why we're bringing this up, not to throw Mike under the bus, but it's a legitimate question. But the reason why is because a lot of folks would typically say and Mike, I've I've asked this question, too. Why is that the case? But the reason why is because long term injured reserve in the offseason does not come into play the only way that does is once the season starts it goes all the way until the end of the stanley cup final the long-term injured reserve number stays the way it is so uh right now brent seabrook is is on the books or he gets paid 6.875 million uh or that is the cap number in real cash i i think it's uh, I think it's somewhere in the terms of, I think, uh, $5 million because his contract was front-loaded with Chicago. So a lot of the money now is all is all now just cap number. So uh, the average annual value is $6.875 million for the next couple of years. Now, the problem, though, that Timba Bay has is, is that they have to be cap compliant come the uh, come opening night. So 6.875, they're going to have to make some adjustments here. And also keep in mind too, um, they're going to also have some restricted free agents as well. Mike, we, we brought that up last week, Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Chernak. They're trying to kind of rebuild or retool this roster by keeping the same guys. And can it happen all under the cap? We don't know. Ross Colton has kind of come into his own as well. Thankfully, he won't cost that much. But again, you might not be able to re-sign a, a player like an Anthony Sorelli above $5 million because, yes, you may have an additional $6 million to play with, but you still have to re-sign Jan Ruta. You still have to re-sign potentially Andre Palat. I don't expect that to happen, but going back to the reason why that number is the case is because that $6.8 million for Brent Seabrook does not go into effect until uh, opening night happens. So that's a big deal for them right now. They've got $0 to work with. They're actually, they still have to shave off about another million dollars. That's a tough, tough thing to do. uh, If you are the general manager uh, in Julian, uh, in Julian Breboy, big deal. And they have a first-round draft pick, too, which may not mean a lot since it's number 31 um, in the uh, in, in the draft this year. But they don't have a second-round pick. They don't have a third-round pick. They lost their first-round pick for next year. And they also lost, uh, or rather it is, I think it's the better of the two in the Brandon Hagel deal. Uh, it's top 10 protected. So either way, I, I think it's going to be um, 
you know, they're they're going to lose those two picks uh, come come next year. Let's take a peek here uh, and see what and see what. Oh, it looks as if that our good friend Rob DeLuca has chimed in. You know what's funny uh, for all the folks that are watching at home, Rob DeLuca, uh, he's he's watching here. Uh, he's not on our show. Uh, that is disgraceful. Uh, thanks, DeLuca, for for joining us here tonight virtually. Joey loves the cap-friendly help. Gotta love the draft day special. Yeah, mm, thanks. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes, I pretend to be Billy Bean. Um, but listen, going back to going back to this whole disaster, do they have what it takes? I personally do not see it. And they was this was a fantastic move to make. Looking on the Nashville side, Mike. This is fantastic after David Poyle traded away Ryan Ellis. He was not a John Hines guy. Ryan McDonough brings in that leadership to go along with the Roman Yossis of the world. They don't have any right-handed defensemen, but I'm sure they'll figure that out at some point. But Nashville continues to get older and older. That's my one problem. My one problem. Unbelievable. Rob DeLuca is currently at work with the sound super low. And he's cutting the Yankees tonight. Rob DeLuca is in a so is a uh, is a, produ- a production assistant up at CBS. So uh, very good stuff there. So if there's any CBS folks out there, any ESPN folks out there, Rob is uh, yes, he's 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 tuning in and he's not doing his work. No, I'm kidding. Make sure you promote. <laughs> make sure if his bosses are watching, promote him. He's doing a good job. Um. So, yeah, so I think that with uh, with Nashville right now, they've got some work to do, too. Keep in mind, they were swept by Colorado. Yeah, it's interesting the spot that they're really in. They, they made the playoffs but did not make any noise whatsoever. They're continuing to get older. Yes, they've brought in some great leadership in, in McDonough. Uh, really forms an interesting uh, one-two punch in their defensive core with uh, McDonough and Yossi. Yeah. But they're they're continuing to get older. Uh, how far away are there? Are they now? Um, and again, it, that goes in part to increasing their age. Um, where you know where are they really going in terms of how they're going about contending? It, it's a bit odd. You brought in leadership, but it, it, it's strange where they're trying to move. Yeah, and, and not only that too. The thing that 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 bothers me. Um, when we got a chance to talk with, and I know we continuously bring this up, but um, for those that do not know, me, Mike, uh, our good friend Casey Bryant, uh, Rob DeLuca, and uh, and you, Mike, we all have a, a group chat together. And uh, we got a chance, or actually Ian had, had brought this up to us after the McDonough trade, and he said, can you come up with a skater, a skater that is under the age of 30 years old, and the best skater on the Preds roster. And when we talk about age 30, what Ian meant was at age 30, come opening night. And that does not include Ryan Johansson because he's technically age 29 right now, but his birthday is 26 days away from today, July 31st. That's tough. When you have, Mike, a roster filled with 30-year-olds, you could pretty much call yourselves the New York Islanders and look how far that got them. Nashville, listen, they got swept by Colorado. They're a lot slower. Who's the best skater that's under the age of 30? I couldn't figure it out without looking it up. 
Colton Sissons. That's not great. That's not great at all. Not great at all. And, you know, again, Matt Duchesne is getting is getting older. You also just re-signed uh, Matthias Ekholm as well. You've got a solid uh, – the left side of, of all three defensive pairs are set to go for the next six years. But how long are they going to be able to keep it up? That right side? Oof. Dante Fabro, he's got one more year until he's a restricted free agent, so he'll be able to get maybe about a, 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 a minor extension, about maybe a, a million or two. And then you look on the other side, Jeremy Lozon, who is who was traded from Seattle. He was selected, or rather, uh, he was part of the expansion draft. He was selected from Boston. So you move him down to the third. Now you've got a big gaping hole on the second on the second defensive pairing on the right side. You still have, thankfully, eighteen million dollars. Philip Forsberg most likely will not be returning. But it's a tough move. I agree with you, Mike, to an extent. Yes, it forms a solid one-two punch, but really, when you look at the age, and yes, the salary cap is an issue right now, but this Nashville team is trending the wrong, wrong way. And they needed to get younger, not older. I personally believe that, yes, this was a great trade for Tampa. And if things turn out the way that for Nashville that it, it has been in the past, the last couple of seasons, this Nashville team might have no choice but to blow it up. Yeah. And I, I don't think you can blow it up, Mike, because of these contracts. It's a disaster, the contracts. Yeah, it's old, older guys on, on some big contracts. There, There's... Really, you know, just go up and down the roster. You probably can only count on one hand to, you know, the serious contributors that they have under 30. And they're they're going to have a lot of issues in the coming years in terms of, you know, how will they make that transition to getting younger and whether it is even blowing it up to to start that rebuild. Uh, It's interesting where they're going to where they're going to go. Their team that, yes, they made the playoffs, but. Uh, are they going to improve from where they were? It's tough to really say. Yeah, absolutely. And now moving a little bit towards the West, we'll go. We'll go west, and then we'll eventually fly back east. Um, we'll go to Winnipeg. And Mike, we saw Barry Trotz, who was formerly the New York Islanders head coach. Um, Winnipeg is where Barry is from. Um, now, head coach Barry Trotz. Um, did not accept the job out in Winnipeg. He decided to take a year off from coaching. There's a lot of rumors going around uh, many Islanders, Facebook groups and fan groups that I'm a part of um, that. And again, this is not something that I encourage you to do, but other folks are, they have nothing better to do. Um, And I saw it and it would be good for our show, of course. So sometimes it's good. Uh, In this case, it is good. Um, Barry Trotz has a, has, I guess, bought a house in Nashville. He sold his Garden City house, um, and he is, we don't know where he is. Mike, that's that's a big deal. And the reason why we're bringing this up is because Winnipeg decided to go another route and go after Rick Bonus, who brought Dallas to the, we'll call it promised land. They were uh, in the bubble. 
for Dallas Stars. They played Tampa in 2020. Tampa won the uh, the Stanley Cup, and that was their first cup since 2004. Um, but Bonus did a fantastic job with Anton Kadobin, Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan. Um, you know, the list goes on. Al- Alex Radulov, uh, Jamie Benn, uh, Miro Heiskanen. You know, it, 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 it's uh, our Essa Lindell as well. The, the names continue to go on. Um, with Rick Bonus, though, this is his second stint. He was fired from Dallas last year. Um, and Winnipeg is on a bad, bad trend as well, Mike. This is, this is something that I'm not liking because now we'll kind of wrap this into a little bit of Rangers talk as well because there's some talk that the Rangers in Winnipeg might be doing some business. Yeah, it's interesting the spot that where Winnipeg is in. Uh, they're headed toward the downward uh, trajectory. They obviously didn't get trots. Uh, maybe the move for bonus is is just more of a uh, a placeholder, biding yeah. time for when trots wants to come back into coaching, and uh, they'd make the transition and and hope he'd want to you know come back and yeah. make Winnipeg the destination. Maybe it's the, that's what this this move for bonuses. They really didn't have anybody else out there. They, a known commodity had coached there before. Let's bring him in and hold out hope for down the future for, for trots to come in. Um, as far as the, the Nashville stuff for, for trots is, I mean, he just loves uh, the city of Nashville like I do. And uh, yeah. this, the real estate's nice. It's booming construction. You probably got some nice property and whatnot. I have a little bit of a summer home. Who knows? Oh, yes. Um, so I wonder how that that will transpire. If he's actually thinking about that as a as a destination, we mentioned all of Nashville's uh, uh, issues and situations going forward. If he'd want to jump into that uh, with the Rangers, I mean, uh, in terms of the connection to Winnipeg, we saw obviously the Andrew Cop trade at the the deadline. Uh, we've heard conversations about Pierre Luc Dubois or Mark Scheifel. Uh, do they go that route? which I wouldn't love either route for the Rangers at all to go back to Winnipeg and, and do some business there. Uh, Dubois hasn't been really that good in the last couple years, although he's still very young. Uh, Scheifel, you're going to add a lot of uh, a salary that, of course, with the Rangers, they have to really tightrope um, with the with the salary cap the next couple years. And uh, Scheifel is practically a two-year rental as well as the issues with the salary cap and you're going to have to give up uh, a little bit in order to get him so uh Winnipeg's certainly going to try and deal those two guys because Dubois has basically said uh by the time he's a free agent in two years he he wants to leave and certainly Montreal has been the biggest uh destination that he's talked about and boy Uh, do they need centers too yeah they probably want to you know cash in uh, Scheifel certainly will hope kickstart a, a rebuild as well. So um, I wouldn't love it for the Rangers, just on the Rangers side of the talk. Yeah, you know, and it's very funny because we brought up the fact about how, you know, Mark Scheifele, potentially Pierre-Luc Dubois as well, how many issues uh, Luc Dubois has had um, in Columbus. There was a reason why, uh Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted out of Columbus, and that biggest reason was John Tortorella. Now, there was some talk also that, you know, potentially, and it was very, very, very slim talk, and I think it lasted maybe a grand total of 10 seconds, but 
There was some talk potentially that Philadelphia may be interested in his services. That was shot down immediately. Why? Because they've got centers all the way throughout. That has never been a problem for them. Um, now, going to the Rangers side of things with what Winnipeg has done, um, you know, Rick, with what Rick Bonus brings in, in my opinion, is not only a placeholder, but he, be- or maybe Kevin Shevladayoff is trying to go for it one more time. Rick Bonus brought Dallas to you know to the Stanley Cup final in the bubble um, with pretty much a loaded Dallas Stars team. Is he is he ready to potentially uh, you know or does he have the stuff to I don't know. Let's see, bring them or develop the team into uh, into into this bona fide star team, if you will. I don't know. I want to look back at what bonus has been all about. Um, Winnipeg, when we brought up that this is his second stint with Winnipeg, okay? 1988-89, okay? Before even I was born. He was hired February 7th, 1989, and he was fired June 30th, 1989. So he didn't make it a full year. He came in, and that was that. A couple of years later, he came back uh, to Boston. He came back as the uh, as a head coach, and he was out within not even a year. It was actually 361 days. And then he was out in Ottawa. He signed a four-year contract, was hired 1992, and then was fired 1995. We keep moving forward, Mike. And just and and please stop me if you've heard this before. The trajectory is not looking good. He was the head coach of the Islanders, 96-97. Uh, yeah, he was the head coach, 96-97. Uh, he, w- he was fine there. And then March 11th, 1998, he was fired by the Islanders. Interim coach in Arizona. He was hired and took over the head coaching job in, uh, in, in the desert, February 24th, 2004, fired August 7th. And then he takes a long, long year off. Keep that in mind. Long year off, a uh, few years rather. Uh, from the head coaching spot, uh, he went to then Vancouver, 2006 to 2013. He was there for six years. Uh, it was the associate coach from 2010 to 2013, two years, and then he was the associate coach from 2013 to 2018 under uh, under John Cooper. That was a big deal. Then he was hired as an assistant coach in Dallas, became the head coach there, and of course, because we've heard that story before, Rick Bonus and John Cooper had so many uh, had so many years of. Um, uh, chemistry and uh, and camaraderie together. They worked together for however many years. You would think that, all right, maybe he might have what it takes to follow John Cooper's footsteps. Not the case. But can he get it done with his second stint in Winnipeg? Now, keep in mind, the Winnipeg Jets, the original Winnipeg Jets, is where he was back then before they moved to Arizona. I'm at a loss of words because I think that there are other coaches out there that were more deserving than Rick Bonus. I truly believe it. I don't think that I think that what they should have done was go maybe for Andrew Burnett, who Florida had let go, had brought in Paul Maurice, who by the way was the former head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. I think Brunette would have been pretty good. You saw what he was able to do down in Florida and 
granted, they they had a pretty good roster, to say the least, and they were the President's Trophy winners. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't, like the, I, I don't like the idea of going for a coach, certainly going for a placeholder, because that's what this feels like. They were yeah. so in on on Barry Trotz. They, they made all the pitches in the world to try and bring him in, and he's like, nope taken off coaching for a while. They were so set on trots and doing everything they could to bring him in. It just feels like bonus was a bit more of a placeholder. Uh, I never liked those kind of strategies because that can always mess up team chemistry, um, affect how you're trying to build the team. They certainly have uh, a little bit of room on the cap to add and and, uh, continue to go for it. But um, I just never liked the idea of a placeholder anyway. Bring in a coach that you really want to invest in. Yeah. Uh, you can build the team around for at least a few years, and players know that they're going to be around. Uh, there, There's some certainty there and, and whatnot. Uh, but this feels too much like a placeholder sort of deal, and that, that's just bad for Winnipeg. Yeah, not only that, too. Keep in mind, you brought up about, obviously, Mark Shifley wanting out. You also brought up about Pierre-Luc Dubois wanting out, too. That is half of their centers. Keep in mind, there's four centers in a, in, in a in, in a starting uh, in a starting twelve for in the game of hockey. And you know when you have Adam Lowry right now listed as your number two center with Blake Wheeler, who can play on the right side. But there's there were rumors that he may potentially want out as well. And if that's the case, how does Rick Bonus keep this locker room? I don't know how he would do that. And I think you would have no choice if you were Shevla Dayoff to effectively start off that rebuild if you were to lose your team captain, if you were to lose the Shifley. Uh, I think Dubois right now with the, as an RFA, I think you, you, know, you, you took a swing, you missed on him, uh, or rather you got him, but you know he kept striking out himself. And now it's just it's simply it doesn't work. Cut your losses now. And I think that's what I think if, if I were the Rangers, going back to now what we're seeing here in terms of this Winnipeg rebuild, I, I, if I were the Rangers, I wouldn't go anywhere near Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm sorry. I, I And for all the Rangers fans that are listening out there, I'm going to stick to that. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a, is a legitimate head case, and he reminds me a lot of Jesse Pugliarvi, who, by the way, yes, Luc Dubois, um, his talent is a lot better, but Pugliarvi was also named pretty much a play killer. Once it touches his stick, it's over. He won't be coming back to Edmonton. He's a legitimate Debbie Downer in the locker room, and that's pretty much what goes on here with Dubois because all he wants is the puck on his stick, and he is one of the most selfish players from what we have heard um, in his time in Winnipeg. It's tough. It's tough. And and on top of it, too, it happened in Columbus as well. Um, I think you and I are on the same page, Mike, that bonus is uh, is not going to be developing much talent. And I don't think he has won anybody over in terms of um, in terms of some players sticking around. I don't think so. I think a lot of the players see the writing on the wall and exactly what we said. The placeholder. It's not a good look. Um and certainly on the the Rangers part of it, and Dubois. I mean, they're they're talking about uh, that it would it would take a package surrounding uh, Philip Hedl. And uh, I mean, the Can after the playoffs, he, I mean after the playoffs he just had. Um, yeah, there's still a gamble, of course. Hedl, can he translate that to regular season? Can he now use this as a, as a jump point for the rest of his career after the first what three four years really, you know, not really hitting the first round pick potential. Are you really going to 
get rid of that for you know another guy that you're you're really banking on some previous success for or him rebounding to uh, his early years. Uh, you'd ra- if you're gonna have to trade Heedle in the Rangers' perspective for if you want to upgrade at center, I'd rather do it for someone a lot more bona fide and, and a lot less questions surrounding. Well, keep in mind also, do we remember when Jacob Trouba was traded from Winnipeg to the Rangers? Now, the reason why it seemed also like the Jets were fleeced, right, was because he got a package. I think it was Neil Pionk was the was the big was the big name there that went back, who, by the way, found his niche over in Winnipeg. He got a massive payday because he looked really well. He simply couldn't fit a David Quinn system. Um, he looked good. Pionk that was over there got a couple of first round picks I believe for for him as well but now I think it's a little bit different if the Rangers and and Winnipeg were to become trade partners once again I don't think you're going to have all of that leverage the Rangers that is because Trouba wanted out Trouba wanted out completely he there was a lot of problems between him management the head coach Paul Maurice uh, and he knew that he wasn't staying. There was zero leverage. They had to give him up for whatever it was. And the Rangers gave him the best package. Here with Dubois, because he's a center, keep that in mind also, centers are a little bit more expensive, as we know. They're not as, um, you know, they, they don't come as often. And they're always paid for, they're, they're always a premium uh, in this league. Right wing, right wingers, left wingers, they're not as expensive. Um, but playing centerman, it's it's a very, very difficult job for starters. Um, but also, and we've noticed this too, is that when you're also a right-handed shot too, um, obviously Luke Dubois is not that. Pierre-Luc Dubois is not that. He's a left-handed shot. Um, we see from right-handed defenders, we see centermen, they're always paid a premium for. And I think that that's not going to be the case here. And I think Heedle is just a start. And that's not that's not my my Ranger hatred. That's just the truth. Because they might swing and try and get Philip Heedle. Maybe he could be better than what he was uh here with the Rangers. I wouldn't do the trade. No. Absolutely not. Let's keep on moving forward here, Mike, and let's uh let's keep on rolling and let's go west a little bit more. Brock Besser, who has been another disaster out in, in Vancouver. Keep in mind, he was oh so close to winning the Calder a few years ago. That was when Matthew Barzal uh, was in his rookie year as well. Barzal had just beaten out Besser for that uh, for the uh, for the Calder. Um, he got another three years plus a nice payday from Vancouver. It's nonstop drama with him. But the good thing though is that he eventually got his payday. There was a lot of talk of him potentially leaving, pretty much going down the Jake Vertanen route, uh, which simply never worked. Um, and now he got his payday and does it look like to you that potentially Jimmy Rutherford could, you know, be going down the route of, right, we're going to go for it one more time because you still have JT Miller who is going to get paid. Um, and now you've got Besser who they obviously have a lot of faith in because he wouldn't have signed him to a three-year contract. Vancouver's a weird team, Mike, a very weird team in the Pacific division because now Edmonton, all of a sudden looks like they could be getting in there. Um, and now you're and now you're signing this man to uh, to a lucrative contract. Yeah, and they're really right up against it on the cap. So uh, how they're gonna move about? Uh, of course, they got one year left of Miller. So uh, will they? J- I think they'll probably just go for it. But it's an interesting direction uh, of of where they're heading in general. Right up against the cap, 
uh, re-sign Bozer to to this relatively big three-year extension. Uh, and we'll have to really maneuver a lot of pieces, whether or not they go for it. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, when you look at some of his numbers, what Brock Besser has done, you know, you say to yourself, 2018 to 2017, 18 was when, uh, was when, uh, Matthew Barzell won the Calder 29 goals, 26 assists, 55 points the year after 26 and 30, 56 points. Um, and then that was when things started to go to, uh, you know, towards a downturn, 16 goals, 29 assists. There were some injury issues. Um, and then in 2020, 21, um, that that was, uh, or rather the, uh, the year after, uh, the COVID year and in the bubble four, four, uh, four goals, seven, seven assists, 11 total points. Um, Besser has begun to kind of come back into his own of sorts. He's pretty much that, you know, not that explosive player that we thought that we were going to see back in his rookie season. Uh, 20, th- th- these, this is all, all, excuse me. This is also the most that we have seen him play in terms of games, 23 goals, 46 total points, 23 goals and assists, uh, respectively. Um, you brought up about how they're, they're pretty much against the cap. It, it seems to me though, again, there's some talk now, uh, by our good friend, Dave Panyota, uh, from the fourth period that now Tyler Myers, the right-handed defenseman out there could potentially be, uh, included in some trade talk with Vancouver, um, they are looking obviously to make some adjustments, Vancouver. That is keep in mind. They also signed Tyler Myers to that massive deal. $6 million with modified, no train clause trade clause under Jim Benning a few years back. He's 32. He's pretty much their number one right-handed defenseman, but he costs a ton of money and they swung and missed horribly with Oliver X, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland, who those two, by the way, would not be surprised if they're out. Um, awfully soon from the, uh, from, uh, from Vancouver. Yeah. Go on. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, even just mentioning those guys, it's going to be tough to move with the, with the contracts that they have. So it's going to be interesting how they're going to maneuver through this, uh, you know, still going for it this year, but, you know, trying to tinker beyond, especially on the defensive side, those, Hughes and Ekman Larson, I mean, those contracts are not going to be easy to move. It's tough to see with what is going on all across the league. And again, if COVID didn't hit, I think we would have probably a $90, $95 million uh, salary cap. But again, you take the good with the bad. Um, And for that being said, we had uh, we had hockey during COVID, so that was a uh, a positive, and it was done healthy and uh, and safe as well. Uh, we keep on moving forward here, and now we're going to fly back east over to Pittsburgh. And Mike, we got a chance to see Casey DeSmith, who is the backup goaltender to Tristan Jari, sign a two-year, one point eight million dollar uh, extension with Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh is another team that still has some work to do. They have obviously Evgeny Malkin, who is a free agent. They've got Chris Letang, who's also a free agent as well. There are some sources out there that are telling uh, some other folks on Twitter that we are seeing uh, that the the aging defenseman is pretty much there in terms of going back. That big three, though, uh, will it be, you know, will they be together on opening night? I would have to go with yes. I can't see Malkin playing anywhere else. Yeah, it's. I mean, those guys have been the Penguins franchise for the last decade. Uh, 
I'd be shocked if they were playing anywhere else. We've heard rumors of them wanting to take pay cuts uh, to continue to stay. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, that's the case. They're just loyal to uh, Pittsburgh. The, the trio with them two and Crosby over the past decade has been monumental uh, for the Penguins. I, I, they're, they're just, it just really, uh, just reading the tea leaves on the situation, they'll probably take a slight pay cut and stay. Yeah, you'd have no choice to. And again, when you look at when you look at some of the uh, some of the guys, like you saw, Brian Rust got a contract extension plus a no movement clause. Sidney Crosby still got another three years to go as well. They're trying to wait for Jason Zucker's money to get off the books. Wouldn't be surprised if they try and get him away from the team with some, uh, you know, with some potential retained salary. He could potentially do something for them, but if they can't get anything to go for him, we'll see if uh, he can get healthy again and potentially make an impact as one of the left and or right wingers. Um, mainly he's been playing left wing for the last couple of years, dating back from his time with Minnesota as well. But keep in mind, you still have a lot of guys to sign what Ronnie Hextall has to do. He's got a lot of work to do him and Brian Burke. Uh, you've got Danton Heinen, Kasperi Kapanen, uh, Malkin, Ricard Raquel as well. And Evan Rodriguez, those are five crucial guys. And we haven't even included what Chris Latang has been able to do as well. Uh, Chris Letang makes that number six too. So that that uh, twenty one million dollars for uh, Pittsburgh is going to go right away, and it just shows also that I personally do not believe that this team can really expand out in terms of what they want to do. Otherwise, uh, if they maybe they would have to let one of the guys go, and I don't expect them to lose on Ricard Raquel because they spent a lot of money for him and a lot of draft capital for him as well. Um, out in Anaheim. And that's another team that um, is also in, um, in sort of free fall as well. And will continuing to, or is continuing to go through a full scale uh, rebuild as well. I don't expect that to be with Pittsburgh. They'll, they'll never be in rebuild, but uh, I do believe that they will be in a retooling mode soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like you said, that cap space is going to eat up quickly. You you have to figure they resign Raquel. Certainly. Uh, Malkin and Latang will take some slight pay cuts, not you know huge slashes on what they were making. Uh, so you obviously add that back in. Uh, do they keep around Boyle? Um, you know what do they do with Evan Rodriguez, who's right in his prime and was a, a solid contributor. I, all all of us Rangers fans remember him being a thorn in the side in the in that first round uh, series. So he, he's been a pretty good contributor for them to. Do they let him be a cap casualty? Do they, you know, swallow the bullet, continue to eat some more cap space uh, to bring him in? Uh, They have some maneuverability. Maybe they attach some guys uh, to some trades. Um, They have a little bit of room, but I think they'll, they'll be right there again next year. Yeah, next week, of course, is Free Agent Frenzy, July 13th already. Crazy stuff. Next week is Free Agent Frenzy, which I believe is next Wednesday. Uh, And then, of course, on Thursday and Friday of this coming week, Mike, we got in a couple of days, the NHL draft out in Montreal. That's a big deal also because, again, what we were talking about, some of the local teams could be in on some deals. Um you know, we expect New Jersey to pick number two, or do we? Do they package something with four potentially to break it? Uh, you know, do they want to go down that route? Do they want to sign a, a Johnny Goudreau? Uh, do they not want to trade away that number two and potentially go all in on the New Jersey boy? 
Uh, does Philadelphia take a swing in, uh, you know, do they take a swing at, at, at uh, Goudreau uh, where, or maybe they go down a hockey trade and maybe take something in, in the first, in the first round. Um, there's a lot of talk that this year at, in Montreal at the Bell Center could potentially be a very, very active first round draft. That would be great because I could tell you there were a couple of drafts when you pretty much know who these guys are picking, but it could get boring, especially when there there is not a lot of action when you're sit when, uh, when you're sitting there. Awfully tough. We'll have to see what goes down here on Thursday uh, at the draft. Uh, we'll have to definitely uh, see what we can get in terms of um, some picks. Uh, we'll see what the Rangers have in store. They're they're picking uh, or actually they they lost their first round pick, so they're. Uh, we don't expect them to get back in on unless they do. Who knows? Um, we had some some rumors being heard that Boston may be looking to get back into the first round. Um, it's going to be a fun draft. And uh, keep in mind, too, last year was not uh, anywhere. It was not in um, – it was, uh, I believe, at the studios in, um, in, uh, in Secaucus. And then 2020 was also in Secaucus as well. Yeah. yeah, two years without it. So the first time since 2019 that the draft is back in a uh, in a building. So really good stuff there. Uh, let's keep on moving forward here, Mike. And with our show here, of course, for those that are just joining us, cannot thank you all enough for making us a part of your doubleheader Tuesday. And if you were watching the Essential Wrestling Podcast before, we can't thank you enough for uh, staying on with us and staying with us here on the uh, on the Eastern Observer, we keep on moving forward here. And, Mike, we look back into a sport that we do not typically cover, but it is very newsworthy here on the Primetime Rundown here tonight, looking at our rundown. Uh, Mike, of course, someone that we know very well, or actually you might be a little too young for that, but, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson, who used to be on uh, – who went to, went to college at Villanova, played his college ball under Jay Wright. Uh, he was drafted by Dallas, 31 overall, a few years back, and he has played his blank out. He has played his heart out. That's the blank. Um, and he has earned himself a solid $100 million contract, uh, a, a max deal with the New York Knicks. Now, though, Mike, there could be some tampering issues because now we are hearing that Dallas may not have gotten to pitch their thought or their offer to their incumbent point guard who's now gone. Yeah, uh, we know the NBA really likes to run a tight ship in terms of tampering. Uh, the last uh, couple of years, we've seen a lot of teams get, get hit with some issues. There are only 58 picks in the draft this year uh, due to tampering violations. So instead of the normal 60, um, so Adam Silver's keeping things really tight. We'll see what transpires of that. But in terms of the signing, I think it's a pretty good signing for, for the Knicks, bringing in Brunson, who's a, a big part of Dallas's playoffs uh, run this year and certainly was a key contributor throughout the playoffs, being the number two option in the guard position behind Doncic. Had a really good season. I think the contract the Knicks gave him uh, – I think is a little higher than probably what he should have been getting. Yes. Uh, I don't know if he's really a, a, you know, hundred million dollar kind of player, not to say that he's bad at all, but I think that's uh, quite a bit uh, more than I thought that he would be getting, but 
I think in terms of uh, on the court, I, it's a really good move for the Knicks. We've talked about for years they've been looking for uh, some real good stability at the point guard position. They have a true point guard here with Brunson, I think can really be a big difference maker uh, and form a, a, a good combination with Barrett. Yeah, there's no doubt. And again, with what with what we got a chance to see, of course, um, a few weeks ago or rather last week, um, with what with what had gone on with the Knicks, um, you continuously see over and over again uh, that the Knicks had made multiple trades during the draft, or rather before the draft, to try and clear some cap room. They traded away Nerlens Noel over to Detroit. They 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 traded away picks as well, uh, and it was pretty much in the equivalent of uh, of the National Hockey League's future considerations. You know, they got a couple of picks back, but they were very low picks, and obviously that was to, as we said, to clear the cap space. I'm still not a fan of how the NBA does it in terms of the cap and the supermax and whatever the case may be, but not only is it a good signing, but that also could potentially attract some folks potentially maybe next year with Donovan Mitchell trying to come home. Uh, don't know how that might work because Utah is now trying to build around him after they traded uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, the infamous Rudy Gobert, of course, to Minnesota to try and come up with that one, two punch out in, uh, in, in the, in the lakes. I, the Knicks, this is a solid start. It's a solid start for them, but they've got a long ways to go. Now, looking over, of course, to Brooklyn, though, Mike, just because uh, we always have to include our guys uh, in, uh, in in black and white. Uh, <laughs> where's Rob DeLuca when we need him? But um, what we are seeing here is Kevin Durant doing it again. Uh, if you can't beat him, join him, or whoever the case may be. But if you can't get on a team that wins, he wants out. And now that Kyrie Irving has opted in uh, to his contract, it looks as if that they were trying to dangle the Nets, that is. The Nets franchise was trying to dangle uh, Kyrie Irving uh, and see what they could get. Now that's obviously off the table since he opted into his uh, $37.5 million contract. He's going to get every single dime. He'll probably be playing uh, for the Nets. There was some talk that the only team that wanted him were the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to try and dangle Russell Westbrook heading back with a whole bunch, you know, with, with a solid package. But now Kevin Durant is saying that he wants out. Kyrie Irving is going to stick around. What do you make of this mess here, Mike? And I think that the Nets, I think they should just head back to New Jersey. Uh, th- this is becoming a, a, a big disaster, big headache for, for the Nets, the, this whole situation. Uh, whatever. Th- this is a situation that just demonstrates the player power in the NBA. Durant signed a massive contract extension next year. He's got four years left on, on the deal. And then and now all of a sudden uh, putting in a, a trade request. I'm not sure what the issue is. Uh, listen, the Nets had a, a terrible season by their stretches. Sure, they dealt with injury. That led them to being a play-in team rather than in the top half of the Eastern Conference. Uh, they, they got laughed out of the playoffs. Uh, in the, the first round after getting past the play-in round by Boston. Um, but it, it's still, this is a, a contending team. You have good pieces around. Uh, it, it just baffles me where where the trade request is wanting to, to, to come in, especially, you know, he signed the big contract extension last year. So it's really two fun. ways. Yeah, it's really two ways Brooklyn can approach this. I mean, if it were me, which is not the way that they're going, but if it were me, I'd kind of <laughs> hold a lot firm, uh, you know, and, and, you know, work it out with Durant. You have four years of him under contract. 
Uh, I, to me, I, I would not entertain any sort of trade talks whatsoever. Hold, hold firm uh, as a team and get Kevin Durant, all his agents, all his people into a room and, set, and figure out what it is we need to do in order to keep you here. We're not moving on things. We're not going to move heaven and earth right now for a trade. You're with us for four, sign through for four more years. You're with us for four more years. Let's figure this out and how we can move forward and and make this a, a winning franchise, a winning team, you know, all the above. Uh, but of course, that's not what's going to happen. Like I said, demonstrates the player power in this league and uh, they keep on entertaining trade conversations. Uh, I think they would really have to get create. Any team would really have to get creative. We're talking three team, four team trades. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Durant has four years left. And yeah, I get the age. He's 33, but he's Kevin Durant as a talent by himself. Uh, it's going to command a lot. So I, I don't know creatively how they're going to figure this all out. And, and uh, I know you said, uh, Irving has opted in, but if Durant goes, so does Irving, and they're gonna they're gonna find a deal for him. Although, where does it fit in? What team wants him, and what team can fit him within the cap is the real question. Yeah, it, and and obviously, you know, with with what Brooklyn has continued to do time in and time again, uh, and the reason why we say time in and time again, keep in mind too, just a couple of years after they came back from New Jersey, or they they went to New Jersey, or rather moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn, they made that massive deal with Boston where they basically, you know, they, they mortgaged their entire future uh, on pretty much two players on Paul Pierce and Kevin uh, and Kevin Garnett. And we saw what happened with, with them. They, the, I think as far as they went was the Eastern conference final back in 2013 or 14, I believe. And I was actually there also with a friend of mine um, and they they didn't they didn't get far. They really didn't get far because all they saw was the Miami Heat at the time, and they saw LeBron James. They saw the big three, uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, uh, Udonis Aslam. Uh, they they and Shane Battier. After a while, uh, they saw all those guys, and they couldn't get it done. And now they're trying to uh, to form it again. You know, they they're, they're trying to to figure these things out that it, it just it doesn't make sense. Remember a couple of years ago where they actually had a solid team. They had a solid team that they built from the ground up, and then they, with one false swoop, they made this massive trade. Um, it just it didn't make sense. They mortgaged the future again. You look at some of these guys on the roster. LaMarcus Aldridge, he's 36 years old. Seth Curry, he's getting older too. Drogic just signed a, a, a new deal, I believe, elsewhere. Uh, Andre Drummond, uh, he's, he's a head case. He's another one. Um, you have Kevin Durant. You have the oft injured Blake Griffin. You have Joe Harris, who's who's decent. He's the uh, he's the uh, the solid three point shooter. Uh, Kyrie Irving again. Patty Mills. Sure, they made that they, they made that trade out there uh, with uh, with San Antonio. Uh, and then keep in mind too, who you have literally sitting back, who is a legitimate disaster in the locker room as well, is Ben Simmons. Who doesn't want to play? He's got back pain. He's sore here. He's sore there. He's hurt there. This Brooklyn Nets team, they can't seem to win. And the problem is, is that, you know, they have a solid core still. They actually do. When you look at some of these players, um, they will not win if they trade away Kevin, uh, if they trade away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they're not going to get anything for Ben Simmons now. But, you know, could he be the Philadelphia Ben Simmons? What could they do? Um, 
sticking on topic, of course, Mike, what is it with Kevin Durant wanting to go to these winning teams? Did you see where he wanted to go? His desired destination was Phoenix. Going Phoenix, to the Phoenix Suns. If you Phoenix, can't beat him, join him, I guess, huh? Yeah, Phoenix and Miami, the two number one seeds in, in each conference this year. I, I, it's it's baffling. Uh, you know, we made a commitment last year. Now all of a sudden uh, wants to jump out and certainly already to, to teams that are plenty established. And and the worst part of that is, is these other teams are entertaining the conversation. And now you're talking about these crazy, you know, three-team, four-team trades potentially. Um, I, 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 I'll present this in, in the other side for Brooklyn. Uh, you could have a good opportunity uh, that ever since the Harden trade, this team has just been getting older and older. Yes. Um, the, their depth, they, they completely lost the, the young, uh, deep core that they, uh, that they got. They restored themselves after the terrible uh, uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade that they made. They finally restored some of their draft capital. They were building a solid team out before Steve Nash came in with Kenny Atkinson. And then uh, Durant and Irving added to it, and you were good there. Even with Durant and, and Irving themselves, you still had plenty of a good core behind them. Yep. And then the Harden trade just absolutely gutted it. And ever since then, they've continued to add older pieces, whether it's Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, uh, and uh, others as well, Drogic this year. Um, and Aldridge, too. Yeah, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, who for a time retired due to uh, medical condition, now he was back in. Yep. So this team has continually got older. Seth Curry as well this year came back in the Harden trade, and now maybe if you're the GM, this is an opportunity that you could get a haul back, depending on who it's from, of much younger guys and plenty of different positions that can restore some of the depth and. I don't know if it translates to winning right away, but depends who you, you may get. They may still go back to, to being a, a, a continuous playoff team still. I well, know. Yeah. Go ahead. It's tough, Mike, because you bring up about how they'll be able to get back these, these, these young pieces, right? In today's NBA, Mike, you don't see a team try and build around – you know, or they they're they're built around they're not even built per se. They are these super teams, right? They're these super teams that try that like what Minnesota's trying to do now. They they traded for Rudy Gobert. Thankfully, they didn't have to gut their team, Minnesota, that is. Gave but, up a lot of draft capital in the process. Oh boy, did they. Boy, did they. But why can't a team like uh, like Boston? who continues to play, and they don't give in to the whole super team nonsense. They do not give in to that, and look where they landed this year. They landed in the finals. Granted, they did lose in six. The bottom line, though, is, is that some of these teams, though, they're pretty good. There is no super team, right? Keep in mind, Golden State won another title without Kevin Durant. They were okay, right? They also just got back. Clay Thompson, too, after, I think, was three years, two or three years without him? Well, I think that's the intriguing thing for the Nets, is that if if you don't see things being able to be repaired, and once again, that goes back to the player power of the NBA, yeah. uh, and, you know, if you make the, if you hit the right buttons on a trade, you know, will you really be that hurt? Boston, 
you know, when Irving was gone, all the locker room problems that were in there, a, a lot of issues. Will they, uh, you know, will this hamper them uh, for the next few years and whatnot? They picked it right back up and did better than they've ever done on uh, when Irving was on the team. Uh, obviously, the Warriors had the culture already built in when Durant came in, and it still picked up right after he leave. They picked up two titles with him. All right, we just move on right along. They, and they went back to the finals this year uh, and won it. So maybe that for Brooklyn, uh, if you know we have to uh, bite the bullet and and blow the the these two big free agent signings up and trade them away. If you press the right buttons, you can still be uh, in a good spot. It, it's although that's a lot easier said than done, given the magnitude of this kind of trade. We really have never seen this kind of a trade where it's someone in their prime like Durant with the amount of years that he has left on a contract. We haven't seen this kind of deal be done or attempted recently in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And now we, we might just see it. Um, And like I said, it's very, it's very difficult for all the Nets fans there that want to see not only a winning culture, but this is also the second time too that the Nets uh, that the uh, that the Nets front office has done this. They did it back in 2010. Now they're doing it again here in 2022. They did it again in 22. Um, and now it looks like they're, they're not going to have to tear it down as you brought up. They do have a young crop of players, which is a good thing, which is the difference in what they had because they had a lot of older guys that also came over from New Jersey as well. Keep that in mind. Um, so we'll have to see uh, what the deal is there. Uh, let's keep on moving forward here and uh, let's go to uh, the NFL quickly and let's see what uh, what we've got in terms of uh, up in Western New York. Now, there was a there was a quote that came out um, a couple of hours ago. And when we say a couple of hours ago, probably about this morning, um, there was some talk with Von Miller uh, because of his age. He did sign a six year contract with Buffalo. And I, re- I, rem- I don't know, Mike, if you were on our show and we had. Uh, when we had said that to, I guess, to the listeners. But when we had said that uh, back in March, you probably were. Um, But Von Miller had signed that six-year contract with Buffalo. And I remember we all had said, and I remember Ian was also had said that it's too long in years. It's too long in years. The money probably, does he have what it takes to be that Von Miller of old from Denver? Maybe. We saw it in in Los Angeles when he won the Super Bowl, his second Super Bowl title in his career. But not only I don't think he'll play out this whole contract, will he be as effective? He claims, and just to give you the exact quote, quote, I hope to play the entirety of my six-year contract with the Bills. Now, that's a little scary. I hope. Now, I think that probably Bill's front office, the Buffalo front office probably wants to agree with that. They probably want that. Obviously they wouldn't have given him six years if that wasn't the case, but you know, maybe first few years, then we release him. What are your thoughts on this with the, I hope I can play for six years where my entirety with the bills. Uh, I don't see it as being anything too negative. I, I think just saying the I hope, you know, you know, six years is quite a long time. You never know uh, what can happen. Football is an extremely physical sport and certainly at his position uh, can, you know, a lot of injuries can happen. 
Uh, certainly in the last couple of years, uh, Miller has been plagued by some of them. So uh, I don't see the comment itself as being too negative because you never know what can happen. But uh, listen, he knows that age factors in. So you, you never know if he may be able to get to it. But that's why he says he hopes, you know, certainly be able to uh, try and be able to play that long. I think if you're the Bills front office, uh, Von Miller doesn't need to be your leading pass rusher. You obviously hope he's your best secondary option, bring some real good veteran experience uh, to that defensive line, which was already pretty pretty good last year. He was one of the best pass rushers in the league. Um, so they're just looking for, for Miller to add that more of a bite in it. I think if you're the Bills, you're not worried too much about whether he's going to get to the end of those six years because – if you win a Super Bowl in the first year or two, and he's super productive while doing that, yeah, uh, you can live with the uh, any injury issues or having to release him uh, at the back end of that deal. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I think that um, you know I don't know the exact financial amount, but we would have to assume that this entire contract is front loaded, no doubt about it. And if it's not, then shame on Brandon Bass. And I don't believe that he would be, and especially with him being one of the best general managers in all of football, I don't expect him to, uh, to be signing uh, Von Miller, especially an aging Von Miller to a contract like that without it being front loaded. And obviously uh, in the, uh, it, in the, it, in the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, I, I can't figure it out. I was going to say with, um, with the intentions of, or not even, I guess with the, um, with the hopes of it being in fa- in favor of the bills, that's, uh, you know, with the, with, with, with the bills favor, um, in hand with that. Um, so as we continue on here, Mike, let's get to our sports updates since our main stuff is done here for this Tuesday evening. We still got another few minutes to go here. Uh, looks like we'll be ending early on the primetime rundown here tonight. Um, sports update. We heard earlier today um, that the former Denver Broncos wide receiver and Demarius Thomas, he had stage two C- CTE when he died. Um, and I can't even imagine um you know, we've seen him get hit a ton. We've seen him with a lot of injury history, um, decent amount in terms of concussion, um, but stage two C- CTE, and we're seeing it more and more every single day. Um, I can't even imagine how how these football players are thinking that it could be them next. Um, we've seen we've seen a lot of players, um, you know, kill themselves. Um, you know, really have a lot of trouble in terms of their their mental health uh throughout and there's no cure for this so it's a degenerative brain disease that um pretty much eats you from the inside out um awfully tough for for demarius thomas and the family but again eyes and ears open with football players there's no doubt um because excuse me because this could be um this could this is it's not could be it is lingering within the nfl and um Again, we don't have the details, we don't have the information, but so we won't continue to speculate. But uh, awfully tough to hear about uh, the the diagnosis from uh, or about Demarius Thomas's uh, brain, which obviously you won't be able to figure out if you have it until you're in an autopsy room, and um, that's the hardest part. I think that a lot of football players and young aspiring football players uh, have to deal with um, in order to either obtain their dreams or get to get to their dreams or 
um, try and live out their football, their, their football dream. We'll see if it, uh, if it happens. Um, let's keep on rolling here and let's get to, uh, another video here, which, you know, me and Micah more of a, a positive, a positive thought. Um, we got to see something that has never been done in history before in major league baseball. Um, I think it's actually better if you just take a peek here at this. So take a peek at this video, folks. Byron Buxton starts this all up. High fly right center. Buxton chasing it. Making the catch at the wall. They've got a possible triple play. There's two. Now a throw to first will be a triple play. Byron Buxton catching it at the wall, and there will be three outs at the end of all this. Now, now, <laughs> there's so many things wrong with that. I, I don't, there's so many people to blame. Uh, it, it's just incredible how wrong that play went. So not only, Mike, did the play go wrong, for those that don't know, that is an 8-5 triple play. In 8-5 triple play, Byron Buxton caught that, right? He caught that. He threw over, right? He saw it. He threw it over to third. You had two base runners that were in the middle of no man's land, right? You tag the runner, and then you throw to first to get the other runner because they couldn't go back. Now, is that in my opinion, or rather, actually, let me let me rephrase. Is that in your opinion, um, one of the worst baseball plays you will ever see in, I don't know, let's see. Little League all the way up to Major League Baseball? Uh, it's right up there. I think the, the Pirates uh, last year with the with the Cubs, that situation, uh, I think that that's what it was when Javi Baez was still there last year and, and that whole thing where, uh, was it, Baez bunted and the Pirates couldn't be able to throw it, throw it around their infield and somehow he got all the way around. And that, I think that one really topped it for me. This one was it's right up there. I mean, it's just dumbfounding the entire situation. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know who to blame. Whether it's just the players, they didn't have any sort of awareness on that play, or the uh, um, the third base coach there for for the White Sox. What what are they doing? Uh, I think there was Adam Engel there on second. They're going ahead toward third, like uh, like it's a base hit, or uh, they didn't even go back to the base for if you're going to tag on the sack fly. You have to go back to second and then head to third once Buxton catches it. Uh, it seemed like they, they were for sure that Buxton didn't catch the ball and they, they just went right ahead. And it, was, it wasn't both. It, was, it wasn't one. It was both runners. And the, and the base coaches didn't tell them, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? He got the ball. It was just there's – whether it's the, the third base and first base coaches to blame or the players' lack of awareness, the ball is hanging for that long. It's not a straight line drive. It's hanging for that long. You're taught to wait on the base, and then you'll make the decision to sack, fly, or whatnot if it's deep enough or something like that. It wasn't a straight line drive hit. It was a high arcing uh, uh, fly out toward yeah. uh, right center field. It, it's just... That entire play is just so dumbfounding and incompetent on so many levels. Well, not only that, too, but you also see typically, right, there's a sizable lead, 
for the base runners, right? They always wait and then they get the call from the first and third base coaches, right? That's usually how it works in, in major league baseball, right? As you brought up, yes, we in baseball are always taught you wait by the bag. That's just how it is. And then as you get older in the game of baseball, you begin to have that lead. You kind of begin to look, but you also, in addition to the awareness of the coaches, you hear them in another ear. Okay, go, go, go. Or you always look back. All right. Did they catch it? All right. We're going to jog back. You know, we're going to, you know, slowly go, slowly go, slowly go. And then we slowly go back. Right. If the catch is made, but to see that happen and to be so unaware Do you remember, Mike, I believe it was last week or the week before, Chicago White Sox manager Tony La Russa had instructed his players not to run at 100% because of the injuries that have been plaguing the White Sox team. Now, do you feel, and this is our last segment before we get into our kudos, do you feel that that has potentially taken somewhat of a toll in terms of a play like this where they've taken it too literally of, okay, we need to be relaxed. We need to do whatever just so we don't get hurt. But now is it affecting the base running? I think it's just affecting their judgment, I guess, is what it is. Because that's sort of a thing that the runners do when it's two outs. You just go no matter what. And you hope the the guy drops it or it's not a catch and and you're just going around the bases. Uh, It it was no outs. And they're they're just running around the bases like it's two outs. You you know, we have to go no matter what. Um, They they weren't input. If someone was going to tag, certainly the runner at second first, they're they're not in a position uh, to set themselves up for that. Uh, It was just terrible all over the place. And and they listen, the White Sox have been underachieving all year. They should be a much better team than what they are in the Central. And uh, this kind of stuff with the La Russa coming out and, and saying something like that about the base running, uh, it's just, I think it's that play really sums it up. It, it just may be affecting their judgment, these kind of comments, and just altogether making a, a disaster spiral with, uh, for what's been a really bad first half of the Chicago White Sox. Really, really terrible stuff. Uh, Let's keep on moving forward here. And of course, our main podcast or main portion of the podcast has come to a close. Let's conclude with our kudos. Mike Zabo, your kudos goes to whom this week? Oh, this week, my kudos goes to the U.S. men's national team, a youth team. And uh, Joey, we both know uh, these guys very well. Jack McGlynn and the McGlynn family, hats off to them. Uh, Jack, of course, part of the, the U-20 uh, U.S. youth team who went all the way to winning the, the CONCACAF championship this weekend at the U-20 level and clinching uh, Olympic qualification for U.S. soccer for the first time since 2008. So we'll see those guys in 2024. Um, so ju- just really fantastic stuff. The, you know, Jack, a couple of weeks ago, had a fantastic highlight reel goal uh, in the midst of this uh, tournament. Um, just a fantastic squad that was even missing some of the guys on their age level and able to still uh, run through the region in this tournament. Just hats off to them uh, and the team and what they've been able to accomplish uh, uh, these last couple of weeks. 
a really great family and great to see Jack McGlynn continuing to do so well. And obviously we cannot forget our good friend, Connor McGlynn as well. Uh, we know he's doing a very, very good job out at, uh, with the Hartford, uh, the Hartford athletic, uh, in USL championship. Uh, my kudos will go to, uh, in the sport of tennis, uh, Nick Kyrgios, the Australian, uh, who, who is known to have tirades fits, uh, on the court, he's very not laxed. Um, yesterday, he won in five sets uh, in the round of 16 match in Wimbledon uh, against USA's Brandon Nakashima. Uh, he won in five sets by uh, the final score was six to two in set number five. And, you know, the only thing that he did say towards the end was, you know, that's it. This guy's done. Right. And for any tennis fan that's out there, they know that you don't typically say that, you know, you're very laxed. You're very, you know, you, you say, come on into your, into your hand, like my, my favorite Marie Sharapova many years ago. Um, but you know, and, and you, you look at some of these, these tennis players who are, you know, they're, it's obviously an individual team sport, uh, or an individual, individual player sport rather. And, you know, you have to make your own, your own, um, momentum. And it's always been tough for Nick Kyrgios because of his comments that he's had. He's had a very uh, a, a, a mouth that is not that does not bode well with the uh, with the ATP with the World Tour. Um, so you know he's had his fair share of suspensions. He's had his fair shares of fines and and stuff like that. But now we are seeing a uh, a, a much lighter Nick Kyrgios who's lost a lot of weight. Uh, and on top of it, too, it seems as if that he might just be a little laxed as well. And this is a brand new Australian Kyrgios that we are seeing. He still runs his mouth a little bit, but it's not nearly what it was for you know a few years. There have been talks many times where he might have been thrown off a tour, uh, but not the case uh, after yesterday. So that, my kudos, goes to, uh, to the Australian Kyrgios, who is finally learning after about five, six years of getting into hot water. Uh, in some of these major uh, Grand Slam events and uh, and even in his own country, in his own home country, and also on, to, on the tour as well throughout the world. Uh, so our show has concluded, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today's Doubleheader Tuesday, of course, is presented by Black Cats NYC. If you've been on for the last four hours, we cannot thank you enough. It's Doubleheader Tuesday. The Essential Wrestling Podcast is where it all began. Today, it ends with the primetime rundown. And next week, it will be the exact same thing. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, next Tuesday will be Doubleheader Tuesday once more. July 12th, it all begins at 5 p.m. And concluding with us at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time with Mike Zabo and myself on July 12th right here on the Eastern Observer. Also, ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind, too, we will be continuing our summer tour. Mondays, we'll come back to you in a couple of weeks. Ju July 18th will be our next Monday show. Be sure to subscribe to us on the following platforms. If you're watching us, please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube by searching the Eastern Observer. And if you're listening to us on the following platforms, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, thank you. And please hit that subscribe button as well for the essential wrestling podcast please do the exact same the only difference of course you don't search for us you search for them by searching the essential wrestling podcast and of course for them as well uh we'd like to promote our good friends over at the uh, the essential wrestling podcast their SummerSlam special 
that will be taking place on Saturday, July 30th, will be coming to you live uh, with Al Carl, Ryan Joy, John DeCani, John Smith, and Gary Mihefi. All of the action will take place at 2 p.m. on Saturday, July 30th, the last Saturday in the month of July. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, a brand new, brandy new topic that we will be incorporating into our bills at the end of each episode. The Eastern Observer is looking for writers. They are looking, we are looking for content creators. Any team that someone may want to write about, report on, content creators we might need help with uh, with our website, need help with social media, any social media content creators, please email eosports3 at gmail.com. And that is where we can be found. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Zabo, I'm Joey Jarzinka. For all of us here at the Eastern Observer and Black Cats NYC, we cannot thank you for joining us here on Doubleheader Tuesday right here for episode number 90. We will see you all next Tuesday for Doubleheader Tuesday, part number two and episode number 91, all beginning at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So long, everybody.